Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Delusional Optimism Season 2. We're so excited to get started. So excited. And in this first kickoff episode, we have Jelani Memory. And uh, Dr. B, what did, we, what did we end up talking about with Jelani? Who is he? Jelani Memory is the founder of a company called A Kids About, where we talk. they talk about difficult conversations with kids and adults. And now, really exciting, we got the initial interview about his new launch uh, and expansion to, well, I think we'll let you listen to the episode yeah, and you're going to get to- leave it hanging there. You're going to get to great. hear <laughs> the new exciting adventures of A Kids Book About. Yes, it's it's so I got I got chills when he was describing what what they have in store. I just so excited exactly it's exactly filling a very perfect hole in the market that really needs to get out there. So yeah, uh, really hope you enjoy this. This season we'll be focusing on uh, generational differences, and we'll we'll be coming back around to this theme a little bit more specifically, just Doctor B and I, um, in the coming weeks. So stick around to hear that. Hear our thoughts about where we think we're going to be heading this season. So uh, we hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you soon. And with that, leave a life, friend. Well, welcome back everyone to season two of Delusional Optimism. I'm here with Dr. B and our very special guest, Jelani Memory. Jelani, how are you doing? I'm doing well, a, a bit tired. Um, six kids and all, uh, and a business to run, but um, but good. Okay, I'm doing well. Yeah. What are the ages of your kids? All the way from three as of yesterday to seventeen. So three, oh ten, uh, eleven, uh, twelve, fifteen, and seventeen. It's a lot. Okay. Oh my goodness, teenagers. Right. Yeah, teenagers. And Tell a and a and a three-nager. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, wow. did did six kids sneak up on you or is that something that you always kind of had in mind and wanted to uh, experience? A bit of both and. So a uh, youngest uh, of four kids in my family and, okay. um, you know, got married, had one kid of my own, got divorced and then met my wonderful wife now. And we've been married for five years and she brought along four brand new kids. And then we had, of course, our now three-year-old uh, together three years ago. So, uh, you know, blended family. It's like a Brady Bunched Munch type thing. <laughs> Um, and so it snuck up on me, but I, I love, I love kids. I love being a dad. Um, and, and so always wanted a big family. Oh, that's great. I cannot even tell you how impressed and excited I think, as you know, by my, my obsessive following of a kid's book about on social media and my commitment to, you can see my, a kid's book about library in the background. Which is not even all of it because half of it <laughs> is down with my granddaughter who's six. 
and I share. Like I buy double copies of everything so I don't have to have it leave my house, but I can share <laughs> when people say, oh my gosh, this is going on with my little or my big. Because I feel like you can use a kid's book about with even adults. This new season too is really about generational differences and how COVID-19 and social justice events have really launched us into a new awareness about disparity in our culture. Mm. And I feel like a kid's book about company as well as a kid's book about racism is so timely for all of us in terms of waking up to the need to bring children into the conversation. So tell us about a kid's book about company as well as your book, a kid's book about racism. Yeah, I've been uh, credited with some really great timing. Um, but to be honest, it was all pretty much an accident. You know, it was all a fluke. I was a co-founder and helping run another business back in 2018 called Circle. You know, we made a really great uh, parental controls product and that was my baby. And I had been running, you know, for almost, you know, seven or so years at that point, building that company, really passionate about the mission of helping kids have a really great relationship with technology. And, but I was tired uh, much in the same way that I'm tired now. And so when I get tired, I usually uh, I, I snag a personal project that has nothing to do with the thing I'm tired about to energize me. And, and that summer it was to write a book for my kids. When I sat down to that task of going, what would be interesting and fun for my kids as well as creatively fulfilling for me, my story as, as a black kid growing up in the whitest city in America and now as a black dad to four white kids and two brown kids felt interesting, felt compelling and felt important to communicate to my kids, especially with my new son who was on the way at the time, Solomon. Um, who, who now just turned three, um, I wanted him to be able to make sense of himself and his story um, mm -hmm. because he was going to come out with sort of, you know, um, dark skin, but lightly complected. And he was always going to get asked, what are you? Where are you from? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. what, what mix are you? Right. Um, which is a question yeah. I still get to this day. So I wrote the kid's book about racism. I titled it that actually initially. And then I was like, oh, nope, cross that out. It's not the book about racism. It's, a kid's book about racism. Mm -hmm. It's designed for my kids, right? Very literally. And it's just one of many books that could be written on the subject. Um, and uh, I wasn't precious about it. I spent a couple weeks jotting down some notes and writing it. Um, I, I, I popped into a cool little design program and you know whipped up something interesting to me that was compelling and then pressed print. Um, cause, wow. cause there was like, you know, I didn't even spell check the thing, right? It was like, it was, it was an <laughs> unprecious activity. It was just mm. a thing that I thought this would be cool for my kids. And, and also a way for me to bridge that gap between us. Right. Cause, cause talking to kids is hard as well as the kids talking to parents is hard. Right. Yes. Um, got that book in October of 2018 and, and was thrilled, showed it to my kids. And their very first response was, can I make one too? Which is, which is really key. It much in sort of our roadmap and the way that we think about books. But their second response was, you could do more books, dad. You could do yeah. a kid's book about ice cream. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you could do a yeah. kid's book about divorce. More interesting. Yeah. And, and it never occurred to me 
that mm-hmm. my little book for them could be serialized into many books on other important or silly or fun or amazing topics, right? And and so my kids, specifically uh, Ella and Joy, uh, two of my middle kids, you know, gave me that idea and I found myself like obsessing over it, you know, like mm. making lists, lists about yeah. lists, like coming up with titles, you know, I'm in the shower coming up with titles. Yeah. But I'm like running a business at this point, right? Like I have, I have no space to like <laughs> do anything else. But I, I do one more thing that becomes really important. I start to show my book to other grownups, right? Mm. Teachers, therapists, parents, grandparents, and their response is universal. At first, there's like a little bit of shock. Like, can you put that word on the front of a book? Is that for kids? Is that legal? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you say racism? <laughs> and then, and these are people like I've known for a long time. And then the next one was sort of this this high interest. What's inside this thing, right? And so they they mm-hmm. literally grab it from me and read it for read it right in front of me, cover to cover. Yeah. And then they go, "This is amazing." And I was like, "Well, thank you. That's very nice yeah. of you to say." <laughs> And then they'd say one more thing. And this was universal. I mean, literally, I had this conversation dozens and dozens of times in a row. Can I take it home and read it to one of my kids? Nice. And my my, my answer was always the same. Uh, No, it's my only copy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't just give it to you. (laughs) Yeah. But it, it keyed me into something that I think was remarkable that nobody knew they were waiting for this thing, but they definitely were. And and nobody sort of had it sitting on the top of their mind. I have no idea how mm-hmm. to talk to my kid about this, but they definitely didn't know how to talk to their kid, right? And 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 something about the boldness of my book and the simplicity of the design was just begging to be read, and also sort of created this permission to go. Yeah, you can go here. Look, it says mm-hmm. kids, it says book, and it says racism. You can definitely read this, right? And and that really started the whole journey of me leaving the company that I'd started to go start a new one, spinning up a whole publishing program in a matter of eight months and launching with 12 books in 2019. Mm. Wow. Wow. You talked about that, that project being not precious, but I'm sure there were still some hurdles. Like, how do I describe this in a way that a kid understands, but, like, but it's still accurate? What are some of the hurdles when you were writing that book? That's a it's like a big can of worms question because I think about that a lot. Um, but but maybe not in the way that you think. I I wasn't really thinking about how do I how do I explain this so kids will understand it. It's how do mm-hmm. I explain this so that it is understandable, right? Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, because I I think what happens when we as adults talk with each other. We all do this very polite thing where we're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. And like we we like we know what each other are saying, uh-huh, right? Mm-hmm, because it's yeah. rude to sort of stop somebody and say, I don't know what that word means. Yeah. Right. Explain that word. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, whereas kids, no shame in doing that, right? So I realized like, oh, kids are gonna hold me to their standard, which is everything must make sense, otherwise I'll get confused, right? Mm-hmm. Grown-ups don't mm-hmm. do that. If it doesn't all make sense, they just pretend like it does and they move on, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yes. And so somehow in the act of making my book and thinking about my kids, it was going, I can't just... I can't BS. This actually has to like work. It mm-hmm. has to you know, be cohesive. And then there was also this part of me that said, I don't know everything there is to know about this topic. Right? I'm, this is not where my education background is. 
And so I, I, I very much so anchored it in my personal experience and then tried to be truthful and transparent and, and keep it really simple, you know, for that matter. And, and apparently it worked, I guess. <laughs> um, but we've kept that approach into all the books that we've made, which is what's the book that we all needed as that six-year-old mm. self who was lonely, who was scared, who got bullied, who got pushed down on the playground, whose parents wouldn't pay attention to them, right? Who experienced domestic violence, who, you know, had a, a, a loved one lost to cancer, like all those things, right? Yeah. What did six-year-old self for each of us now as adults that we carry that six-year-old self with us? What did we need? It was really about just going, mm. well, talk to that kid. Right? Just explain it to that yeah. kid. And if you can explain it to that kid, you can explain it to anyone. I love that. The accountability to yourself and the honesty is so powerful in the messaging for all the books because you're like, mm. that's what I feel like comes out in each book. It's, it's just holding ourselves as adults accountable to children understanding what in the world is going on around them, which I think as parents generationally before, we haven't always done. Seth and I have been talking about this generational difference stuff a lot lately and really want to focus this season on how different generations interact with each other and communicate so we really can can be honest and make sure that the message is accurate like what's been the grandparents' response versus the parents' response versus the kids' response? Um, have you had that? There's definitely a, a different motivation for each. So I'll start okay. with parents because that's the easiest. You know, for parents, it's I want to talk to my kid about this thing. How do I do that? Right? Oh, this okay. book on this topic. This is a great vehicle in. And and then I think they're surprised to go, oh my, I'm not introducing a thing to my kid. I am finally talking with my kid about a thing my kid has thought a lot about has experiences and stories related to, right? Uh, which then brings me to the kid experience, which is finally somebody's taking me seriously. Ooh. Finally, somebody's talking to me, right? Yes. Finally, I have permission yes. to bring up this thing that I asked a question one time and I got shush in the grocery market, right? And so they feel a sense of empowerment and respect. Mm. It's also, it's the start of something for them. It's a door that sort of once it's opened, it doesn't get closed again, where now they can keep talking to their parent about it, right? Yeah, And then for grandparents, I found a, a couple different motivations. One is as much in the same way as a, as a parent, which is I want my grandbabies to have, a, you know, to be introduced to this thing. But it's almost always, you know, I'm going to gift these to the kid and the parent's <laughs> going to be the one reading them with them. <laughs> but I've, I found additionally that it's often... And, and look, I'm not a grandparent, but I can, I can sympathize with this. Is a sense of going, gosh, I might have screwed this up with my kid. Oh. I'm not going to screw it up with my grandkids. I'm going to give them the thing that I should have given my kids, right? Through them and and give yeah. them a better shot, right? At just being more healthy, more empathetic, more thoughtful, more loving. So, you know, you get to skip that generation to sort of, you know, get at the the yeah. one that's still malleable. And yeah. then for aunties and uncles, it's it's almost always sort of covert activism where it's like <laughs> My brother-in-law or my sister would never talk about, you know, feminism or anything gender-related or death or body image with their, you know, with my niece or nephew. 
So I'm going to sneak these books right under the tree or, you know, uh, through the back door so that my niece or nephew can get introduced to these topics. Hmm. Uh, I, I think it's rad. I think it's cool. I also think, you know, it probably pisses some parents off uh, at some uh, <laughs> junctures. Um, yeah. But those are some of the different generational differences that I've seen. Okay. Mm. It feels so consistent with what I would imagine. And as a grandparent, you know, of course, I'm the one who's been like, okay, here's the, you know. <laughs> but I think, oh my gosh, finally permission to. Like I find myself sharing with older grandparents because I'm kind of a young grandparent, you know, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It, yes, it does say sexual abuse on the cover, but it's yeah. okay. I promise mm. that the, the stuff inside is age appropriate. And this is what we all really did need to be talking about when we were children and we needed people to be talking to us about yeah. divorce and these topics yeah. that are that are recycled over and over century mm -hmm. after century, but we're finally allowing it to be communicated. And, and I think you're so spot on and timely in that the littles are just chomping at the bit to have these conversations that, that adults have been scared to, to talk about because they don't think the littles are ready. Yep. And, they don't know what to say because nobody to ever talk to them about it. I, I think about my dad a lot, which will sound strange when I get to the next part. I, I think about him a lot because of his impact on me having having ha never really been around him ever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dad mm -hmm. left when I was four. I saw him maybe a dozen times, you know, before I got into my 20s and then another maybe a dozen times before he died. So not a lot of mm -hmm. times. And half those times would be him on stage because he was, a, he was a, a famous jazz musician. The reality is, is that he had a massive gravitational force in my life impacting me. And, you know, I didn't choose that. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't, I didn't even really know that until I became an adult. Uh, anyways, I, for me, I, I, I just wanted to bring it up in so much as like I was experiencing that as a kid, but nobody ever talked to me about it, right? Nobody ever stepped mm. in and said something, but somebody totally should have, you know? Um, yes. there, was just, there was just no way to do that. And then, you know, now as a dad myself, when I try and pull from that sort of uh, tool bag of how to do, it's empty. It's completely empty. Yeah. And so I've spent a lifetime trying to fill it up with things that mm. would be helpful. And, and so right. I like to say, like, you know, if you can see the action figures behind me, I, I collect father yeah. figures, like I collect action figures, right? And I, and I, okay. and I borrow right. from them wisdom, anecdotes, uh, practices, things to try out, right? Because I just, I, yeah. there is no memory of playing baseball in the front yard with my dad. Right. It just does not mm. exist. And, and I, I, I don't think I'm alone there. I think a lot of parents are going... What do you what do you mean I have to talk to my five year old about sexual abuse? What? Right. You know? Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm not talking with my spouse about that, right? Right. <laughs> I avoid those articles when they show up in the news. <laughs> I'm not talking to my kid about that. Mm. And, exactly. and what I love that our books do is they respect that the parent might not be totally ready, but they're where they're at, which is which is uh, you know, at a first grade kindergarten, you know, second grade level with the, the subject, right? They're not experts. Yes. And, and 
many of these books that get created on these topics, they start a parent in at like the graduate level and, and the parents overwhelmed, the kids overwhelmed, and it's like too much. And so they sort of blaze through this book, mm. don't retain anything, but they sort of pat themselves on the back that they sort of talked about a thing. And yeah. so our books yeah. gently hold your hand and go, we're going to introduce the words, what they mean about the subject so that there's a shared understanding afterwards and a starting place to to keep talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Even for topics yes. as heavy as sexual abuse or important as immigration. And I, and I think that's a must. Um, my book doesn't say everything there is to say about racism, but it gives a place to start talking about racism no matter yeah. where you're at. And I think that's that's paramount because it's scary. It's hard as hell to talk about yes. these things yeah. if, you, if you're starting from scratch. How many kids book about books are out there let's see we're we're definitely over 50 books um since we launched in 2019 we've added on a board book line um called the little book about that we're really excited about and and we'll keep going we think Mm -hmm. you know it's not just uh tens of books or hundreds of books we think there's thousands of books here topically that can be made and and mostly and you'll find my thesis is really simple it's that i think everyone has a story to tell which then by virtue of that means everyone has a kid's book inside them that can be Mm -hmm. written um, Mm -hmm. because everyone's story truly is valuable and remarkable. And so when I talk to people who are trying to pitch me books, I go, what's the one story you want to pass on to the next generation? If they try and offer me 16 stories, I go, no. What's the (laughs) one story, right? Um, Yes. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm really proud of our collection, but I can't wait for it to grow even more. And it sounds like what what lesson do you want to pass to the next generation is really what's the one story you wish you could tell your six year old self? Exactly, exactly. Is that that's exactly yeah. it, right? And yeah. and that's sort of what I was doing with my own book was was going. Mm-hmm. Why did I have to be so alone and grappling with this? I didn't really start to wrap my head around it until I became an adult. Right? It was just mm-hmm. was not a thing we talked about. Taking that off the table for kids and just going like, you're not going to have to carry this until you're grown, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is remarkable, right? If if you could go back in time to, to talk to your six-year-old self, it probably wouldn't be like, here's who wins the Olympics, right? In 2021 and how to make a <laughs> bunch of money. It would be, yeah. it's okay. You're okay, right? And right. and you would exactly. offer yourself some, some emotional comfort so that you might grow into a more healthy and whole person. So Jelani, I have a million dollar question for you. And that is, is there a person that you identify or recognize or people in general that will really know specifically that gifted you your resilience? Because you got to Mm. this place, even though your dad left at four and you only Mm. saw him a dozen times and you experienced, you know, adversity clearly as a child and felt alone. But somehow, some way, you were gifted resilience somewhere. Who do you identify that person or few people as being your gifters? Yeah, I, I think it's so much of it starts with my mom. Okay. Uh, you know, my mom, she made the decision to take us kids and move us across town, um, not just into a better neighborhood, but her and my dad were were on drugs. You know, my my dad at one time had described it like a truck had backed up into the neighborhood full of heroin. Like that's how crazy it was. 
And she mm-hmm. just said, I got to get clean for my kids and told my dad, you can join us when you get clean. And and he, he, he never really did. And then by the time he did, he just sort of had no interest in joining the family. And so that resilience initially, I think I definitely imprinted on me. And then, you know, my mom worked nights as a nurse raised four kids by herself, you know, never dated. Somehow we, we, you know, we always had like Nintendos and shoes. And I, I, I played three sports year round. All of my siblings did. Just imagine wow. that as a single parent, right? Making that happen yes. while you work nights. Like yes. I, uh, that's incredible, right? Um, Amazing. Um, and then she never said no to things that really mattered, right? If I wanted mm-hmm. to do karate, it was like, sure, we'll figure out how to make that happen. So uh, definitely there. And then, you know, I've been really fortunate to find a handful of father figures. And I, and I really mean father figures. And yes. they knew they held that position. And I knew they held that position mm-hmm. as I grew up, who all were, you know, some were coaches, some were friends' dads. Some were, you know, professors, and some were were coworkers. Mm-hmm. Where I I I craved mentorship, and and you know, I now know as a mentor to other sort of young men is when someone comes and they're ready to work and they want to be mentored, it's like the greatest gift ever. So I, I realized, yep. I think I gave that gift to a lot of mentors where they're like, oh my gosh, he actually really listens to me, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I think I got you know, a lot of really great sort of tangible, practical, not just wisdom, but I think resilience building through that. And then, you know, just, uh, I don't know, life, living through stuff. Sports were a big one for me, you know, learning how to lose yes. and just go like, it's just a loss. Like I can, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll play mm-hmm. again next time. And this, that loss doesn't have to carry into this game, you know. That's a good question. I've I've never really quite thought about it like that, but I I think you're right. I I do have quite a bit of resilience. Oh, absolutely. Along those lines, for maybe those people out there that are desiring a father figure or some type of mentor, how how would you suggest they go about that and communicate properly and have a, a good boundary relationship with that person? I think it requires openness. I think it requires honesty. I think it requires vulnerability and then it requires some greater tenacity to to do the things that that person is encouraging you to do, right? It's it's a little bit like the the anti-teenager, you know, a methodology um <laughs> Right, like my teenagers will just not clean their rooms as much as I ask them to. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um uh, uh but to go to that individual or collection of individuals, because it was never one person for me ever, and invite them in, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're honest about your life and you go, I am I'm I'm having a hard time with this. I don't know how do I do this, right? How do I get into college? What does that what does that look like, right? Um, how do I make this team? You know, one of my one of my father figures, one of my mentors, I was like, I want to, I want to design sneakers. How do I, how do I get into that as a profession? And 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 I knew that he had an answer, so I asked honestly, and then he sort of, you know, sent me on this multi-year journey to explore it. I didn't, I didn't end up doing it, but it took me on a journey to sort of discover other interests that I had. And so I, I think it's about not just opening up that I need help, but then it's taking them up on that help, which is which is often where the catch is. And when I say catch, it means it actually takes work, yeah. right? You know, it's not just about going, I need help. It's then it's about doing the work that uh, is required to take hold of that help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
how do you find these father figures? Like, how do you decide which ones are safe and have something to offer you? Yeah. Um, go be where those people might be, right? Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, this is what I told my sister. I said, just go be, go be where the people you want to be like are. Where are they at? Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, probably Mm. not at the club on the weekend, just to guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So uh, that for me, it it looks different for everyone. Um, But that Mm -hmm. was, that was in my community. That was in sports. That was in school. That was at church. You know, it was in a handful of places. And again, it wasn't that I was ever like, Hey, you are now my father figure. Right. It was to hold this place in my life. It was, it was just inviting them in and in vulnerability Mm. to let them, you know, have a role in my life. And I'm sure as soon as they got close, they were like, Oh, there's a lot of gaps here, right? Not because it's his fault, but because his dad chose yeah. not to be around, right? I feel your resilience radiating through the screen. <laughs> <laughs> because the way I view it as is this, I have a cup and I need to fill it. And having the initiative and the energy and the willingness to be vulnerable and open and seek others to support filling in the gaps is really what that resiliency is. And because it starts with a baby, really your mama, even though you're kind of like, I don't know who, you know, it of course it was my mom. Yeah. Usually it is, um, you know, an early, early experience that we don't necessarily kind of, we're not Mm. able to put our finger on, but it sparked our need and desire and willingness to be able to jump out there and find those people where we know we know that there are people who don't have as much resilience and their their fear keeps them yeah. from being able to do that leap and put themselves out there in a vulnerable space because it's just too scary it's terrifying Mm. And they have they don't have one single example of it. So mm, yeah. they can't repeat the example and just keep doing it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So when you said it's a fluke, I thought, oh, there's nothing fluky about this. <laughs> like you <laughs> you are on a path. And I love, I love, love, love that because it inspires me about up and coming generations mm. of not only entrepreneurs, but also of children, because I think this, you know, my little six-year-old granddaughter is such an inspiration to me. Then all littles, the things they talk about today are so amazing yeah. and nothing that I would have talked about at six, you know? Yeah. yeah. So tell us about what's coming down the pike, Jelani. Yeah. What's what's going on? You got some big news for us, so share. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and and man, uh, have I been working on this stuff for a very long time. I'm so excited to finally get to talk about it. So by the time yeah. this episode drops, a whole number of things will be true. But let me take you back. There, you know, so we launched a business, twelve books. We start, you know, growing the catalog. But it's a team of three of us, so very small team. The world shifts on its axis when the video of George Floyd being murdered is released. And Mm. there is this immediate 
and and both um, um, emotional immediate as well as like statistically immediate awareness to go oh my oh my god racism is real in america yes. it's not like a olden days thing it's like a today thing yeah. and and i yes. think the whole swath of people who were sort of you know not thinking about racism from a day-to-day perspective and also sort of just mostly sitting on the fence if you'd ask them you know is racism does racism still happen they go ah you know i mean not really you know like there's some racist people but you know the same sure. old right reasons that that moment changed things for a lot of people and for us as a business right my book was already you know among the better selling of the books like the graph of sales literally just like was like steady and then it wow. just went straight up for an entire nice. week and and i was conflicted genuinely because mm. i was like i i was already i was feeling the grief for that moment and also the frustration to go this is not the first time so so what is it, right? And and it's like it's a pandemic. It's that moment. It's like mm. it's a series of murders that had just happened, just like in close proximity. It was it was a whole bunch of factors. Mm-hmm. And also, I was going, gosh, I don't I don't want to be the guy like making money in this moment. Like it just felt icky. I, I had a really smart advisor go, you know, Jelani, you're not selling T-shirts. You're selling a solution. You're selling something that's really helpful Oof. for a lot of people who have no idea how to navigate this stuff. Grownups and kids who are genuinely at a first grade level when it comes to understanding this, and thank God your book's written at a first grade level, right? And and so you know we we literally sold out of all of our books in in the span of eight days. Wow! Uh, yeah, wow. Every single book gone. Right? It was like, oh my, we have to print more books. Um, wow. And and we doubled the team, right, to a massive six people, and <laughs> we're just answering support requests and social media stuff. And I was doing interviews for you know an entire summer. At the end of the summer, I just was like, you know, I got to step back from the business a little bit and just clear my head a little bit because um, I feel like this business it's it's wanting to go places that I never intended. Like I I left my other company actually to just do like a cute boutique kind of like let's make some really great little books for kids. Let's keep it a small team, right? Never has to be larger than you know six or seven people, and let's have a blast doing it and have a really great culture and, and you know grow a healthy business. Um, the business was going no, I'm not going to let that happen, right? Um, customers were saying nope, uh, we want more, we want it faster, <laughs> and we want you to cover more topics. And so, it took a couple of weeks to just go. I need to be what the company needs, not the company to be what I need in this mm. moment and also for the future of it. Because um, I think there's a bigger opportunity here, not a financial opportunity, a story opportunity, an impact opportunity for the next generation of kids. And so I stepped back, I sort of you know, got to sort of calm, calm the busyness a little bit. And immediately it was like, it was so obvious where we were going that if we were going to do the thing that we were best at, which is to tell stories, but to trade purely in nonfiction to sort of never touch fiction because all of right right DreamWorks, Pixar, Disney, Nickelodeon, I could go on and on, right? All fiction content for the most part. Who's gonna tell these stories, right? On racism and death and cancer and loneliness right. and boredom and and fear, right? And and I realized, oh, I think we're like the only ones telling it in a commercial way, but you know, we're just getting started. Where else can these stories be told? What other age groups can we reach? And and really, like, what's the what's the outer bounds of the the size of this thing? And the, there was this little chart 
that Walt Disney had made back in 1957. And then he updated again, I think in 1965 and go look it up. Just Google Walt Disney diagram 1965. And you'll see that he has this really interesting sort of spider web matrix about how he's conceived the Walt Disney company to work. And at the center are theatrical films, which is where they got their start in terms of growing as a company, right? So they make, gosh, at the time, what? Snow White, which is the first um, feature-length animated film. People thought it was crazy to go watch a cartoon for two hours. Turns out it was the highest grossing <laughs> film of its time, right? And, and now we see where the Walt yeah. Disney Company is at today. And then off to the left, it's like, oh, there's music. And you've got parks. You've got 16 millimeter films and you've got licensing and you've got books and you sort of got all these different pieces to the business. And then there are all these lines flowing back and forth about how they support each other, but how they're all sort of self-contained units. And for the Walt Disney Company, the thing that runs that whole flywheel engine is the theatrical films in the center that create the IP and the characters that can flow through all of the other ones. And then every once in a while, they get lucky and create something in a park like Jungle Cruise, right? Mm. And they flow that back into theatrical films, right? And I thought, huh. Okay, well, my my expertise, my specialty from a media perspective is actually not in books. Um, I don't come from books. I love books, but that's not where I come from. I come from having made podcasts. I come from having been a filmmaker for a decade and, and knowing a whole lot about a bunch of other spaces and media that have uh, nothing to do with books. And so I started to sort of create my own little graph of here's some spaces and places that I'd like to go and play and tell stories. And then started to sort of think about it developmentally, right? Which of these is going to cater better to different developmental levels, right? Not putting on my professional sort of, you know, I'm a childhood expert because I'm not, mm. but putting on my very practical, like looking at my kids and going, you know, at what age are my kids going to age out of the kids' books? And, and I was, oh, I already have those kids and they won't yeah. touch my kids' books, right? They think <laughs> they're sort of cute and interesting, but they won't read them. And how else can I reach those kids? So this is a really long wind-up to go, I realized we, need, we weren't a kids' book company. We needed to be a kids' media company. And if... If Walt Disney was, you know, a poor black kid growing up in Portland, Oregon, you know, with a dad who abandoned him and a love of art and books and, you know, was a dad to six kids, right? What kind of company would he build? And I go, well, I, I'm that guy. And only yeah. I know what that company should be. And to me, oh, yeah. it was a company that told the same kind of stories we were telling through books that empowered kids, that challenged them, that introduced new topics to them, as well as created this bridge between them and their grown-up. Whether that's a grandparent, a teacher, a parent, to talk about something that matters, right? That's important, that's weighty, that's... Um, that might just change their life, right? So uh, again, as this episode is live, we are officially a kid's company about... Um, so rebranding the company name. We have a kid's book about, which is our publishing imprint with the other imprint, a little book about, right? Our, our, our line of board books. We're growing our podcast slate from three podcasts to seven podcasts. We'll be at 10 podcasts by the, the end of the year, effectively with our own network, a kid's podcast about. And then the new product that we're unveiling is a streaming platform designed for older kids called a kid's class about. It's like nice. Masterclass, but for kids. Focused oh, on careers, I love it. life skills, big ideas. And wow. you know, 
for me, what's so groundbreaking and revolutionary about it is that content really doesn't get created for 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds, right? Mm -hmm. There's this big leap that happens where they all of a sudden they go from like, you know, Saturday morning cartoons to like PG-13 movies, which are really just yeah. adult movies in disguise, yes. right? Yeah. And I'm not talking about from an appropriate perspective. They're not designed for kids, not even right. remotely. They're not yeah. made for kids. They just bring that bar down so they can grow their revenue, right? Or social media, right? YouTube, TikTok, mm. Instagram. And it this doesn't need yes. to be said, but I'll say it. Those are not designed for kids either, right? No. But when you think about it, what's really made for that demographic that treats them with respect, that honors that stage of life, that talks mm -hmm. to them directly, that talks to them honestly, there's not a lot, right? YA books, right? The Hunger Games, not designed for that age group, right? Mm -hmm. That's designed for adults that just levels down to that age group. And so for us, it was really important to go, what if we made content that was just for them, that wasn't dumbed down and mm -hmm. kiddie, but wasn't also pretending like they were adults, right? And had mm. their own credit card. And were, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> and, it, and it turns out there's this magic sort of place where, you know, when you're speaking to that age group where you realize, oh, that, that group of kids, they're thoughtful, they're empathetic, mm -hmm. they're activists at heart. And they're also really thinking about, really critically thinking about in between the TikToks and the Instagrams and the YouTubes, they're thinking about who they want to become when they grow up, right? Yeah. They're thinking about themselves as adults. They're imagining it. They're picturing it. They're, it's, they're, it, their life isn't just full of entertainment, right? And so out of that spirit of seriousness, we have classes on being an architect with a really wonderful Mexico City architect named Piero. Um, we have a kid's class about being a musician. We have a kid's class nice. about being an entrepreneur. We also have a kid's wow. class about discovering your passion, uh, living with authenticity and a whole number of others coming down the pike on those really big, important topics that, again, there's just this leapfrog that happens over that whole group of kids because I think, one, they're hard to talk to, right? Yeah. <laughs> but two, yeah. um, you know, there's, it, and I got told this by folks when we were building it, it's like, oh, well, there's no money there, right? You can't sell a thing to a teenager. It's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not selling it to a teenager. I'm convincing their parent that this is going to be meaningful for them. And then the kid's going to watch it, hopefully. And no, it's not lame, right? Because that's right. also yeah. the big test is like, is it lame? Right? Is, <laughs> yeah. this, is this stupid? Do I have to do yeah. this, right? So, so excited about that. Um, streaming platform. Um, we've got native apps coming soon, but it'll be sort of web-based initially and then be on Apple mm. TV, Roku, Android, iOS. And, and I think it's going to change the game for how we're telling stories and also, you know, um, teenagers and, and what they have access to in terms of thinking about their futures. My goodness. That's amazing. My heart is full after hearing all of that. I know. That... I'm so excited. <laughs> wow. Uh, awesome. You're changing the culture and you're changing the world, which is just... Mm. Oh, thank you. Fits right into, I also want to say, you know, this is that transformational shift which is so beautiful and timely and necessary for everybody. You know, we think, oh, this is great for kids, but really this is good for everybody. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is good for the me's of the world who are on the second half of our lives. But at the same time, you know, 
I want to leave this planet knowing that's what what's coming up is mm-hmm. different than than where I you know what I grew up in and where yeah. you know like that there is a legacy coming up a life print. So yeah. I love hearing your life print, Jelani. It's oh, so thank you. It really you. is inspiring and exciting. Well, as we're as we're closing up here, Jelani, can you give us ways that people can hear more things, keep up with the news, uh, all that stuff? Yeah, uh, and again, this will feel really weird to say. Uh, you can find us at akidsco.com. Um, that's where Ooh. our books, our podcasts, that's our great. classes. You know, you'll be able to find out all about them and find where they live. And and buy stuff, experience stuff for free, subscribe stuff. All all the good things will be there. Either a kids company about or kids co at a kids co uh, on Instagram, you know, Twitter. Uh, I, I'm not yeah. even sure we've decided that stuff yet. To be <laughs> <laughs> you got six um, more days. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, we just got a little bit of time. Um, you know, launching things is really this exercise in knowing that whatever date you set. It'll always be a mad dash <laughs> right at the last. And so I always be like, well, so we'll just true. set it sooner. Because if it's always going to be a mad dash, we might as well mad dash sooner, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. But that's where you can find us. Oh, nice. That's wonderful. Thank you so I much. I want to say, Jelani, the sweetness and kindness and loving uh, respect that you have for your children and your family and the credit that you give them to your business and your inspiration is beautiful it's lovely it makes me tear up a little bit that i just feel like i wanted you to hear that because it really is like you said precious and Mm -hmm. and i think that as we move forward together as people that that way of communicating is so necessary for all of us to be okay Saying, you know, I do, I love my children. I I just, you know, it's just sweet, and it makes me want to say yummy. <laughs> so, um, well, thank you. So appreciate thank you. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate I just that. love that. So well, thank you so much for being yeah. with us today. Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. All content on Delusional Optimism is for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship. A patient-client relationship is only formed through a written contractual agreement. If you need medical or mental health care advice, you should consult your doctor or therapist or go to your nearest hospital.